Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Potts, the Managing Digital Editor at Consultant360 Specialty Network. And I'm here with Dr. Samir Naranji, who is the Director of the Fracture Fragility Care Program at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Naranji. Uh, it's, it's, it's my pleasure, Mike. I'm good to be here. What groups of people are considered at high risk for fracture? And why are they considered high risk? So when it comes to uh, fractures in this high-risk group patient, it seems that every of these uh, patients has at least one or two of the many risk factors uh, that are associated with osteoporosis. Age is uh, definitely a major factor, and uh, the U.S. Uh, Preventive uh, Services Task Force recommends that uh, women undergo screening at uh, 65 years uh, and about. Uh, in addition to age, there are like various different risk factors, especially family medical history, race, uh, tobacco, smoking, uh, alcohol consumption of more than three drinks per day. Uh, you know, if you have small physique, uh, you don't exercise well uh, often, uh, you have a thyroid disease, uh, uh, if, uh, certain problems with premature onset of uh, menopause, uh, and anti-estrogen treatment for breast or other cancers um, are some of the major risk factors. Um, and there are numerous others, minor uh, risk factors uh, that can contribute to osteoporosis and fractures in these patients. What are the best practices for fracture prevention among these groups? So when it comes to um, prevention of fractures in this high-risk group, uh, usually we need to follow certain rules or you can say uh, uh, adequate calcium uh, exercise, uh, make sure that you don't fall, uh, take good fall prevention precautions. And uh, if there are some risk factors like smoking, alcohol, or other modifiable risk factors, um, then uh, one need to work on those to remove them from their habits. Uh, to uh, prevent these uh, fractures. You know, usually we get uh, around 700 milligrams of calcium from our regular diet. So I recommend that uh, we need to supplement our diet with calcium uh, to around 1,200 milligrams per day. That's uh, uh, the recommended dose for a healthy person uh, to keep their bone health uh, well. So, And other things uh, we talked about is when, when it comes to exercise, uh, walking, weight training, um, you know, working on your balance, posture, keeping yourself flexible are some of the things one can do to improve the bone health and uh, prevent uh, these fractures. Uh, similarly, we talked about bad habits, uh, removing alcohol, smoking. Uh, these definitely have uh, bad effects on your bones. So uh, if you uh, avoid these habits, it can uh, prevent this fracture. Could you talk a little about how osteoporosis is usually diagnosed? So the most common way to diagnose osteoporosis uh, is uh, to uh, do a DEXA study where uh, it's a bone uh, mineral density study. The T-score on your bone density report shows how much your bone mass differs from the bone mass of an average healthy 30-year-old adult. The scores usually, uh, if they fall below uh, minus 2.5, that's, that's uh, consistent with osteoporosis. Uh, and if it's between my, uh, minus 1 to minus 2.5, then it's considered as osteopenia. So these are, this is the basic 
uh, test that helps uh, diagnose uh, uh, osteoporosis uh, in these patients. How do you personally manage patients in these high-risk groups? So me as a surgeon, uh, uh, I'm, I specialize in uh, adult reconstruction area of orthopedics, uh, which uh, deals with uh, hip and knee replacements. So uh, when I get patients mostly related to these fractures, high-risk group fractures, they're usually hip fracture patients, and I treat them uh, you know, surgically most of the time with either uh, fixing their fracture with plates or screws uh, or you know, putting a rod, which is an intramedullary nail that goes uh, to uh, treat this fracture or replacing their hip in the partial or total hip replacements is what these patients uh, get. Definitely, this is the surgical aspect I deal with, but I play, uh, pay a lot of attention to their bone health, and uh, I'm currently the director of Fragility Fracture Care Program at UAB, and uh, basically our program deals with comprehensive management of these fragility fracture patients. So once they get surgery or during their admission to a surgery, we evaluate them for uh, any vitamin D deficiency, and then uh, treat them uh, appropriately with the help of calcium and uh, vitamin D supplementation postoperatively. Also, we arrange for follow-ups with our rheumatology and osteoporosis specialists uh, in these areas, or they can go to their primary care physician as follow-up to make sure that their osteoporosis treatment is complete. Um, this not only helps prevent further fractures, but also uh, help to heal their current injuries. Do you have any tips that you could share with your peers regarding these best practices? So again, it's uh, it's all. Um, it is very common among uh, you know my peers. I would say that though they provide uh, great care for the patients, often the bone part is neglected, uh, or maybe you can say not taken care of that well as regards to osteoporosis management. So, as orthopedic surgeon, we all need to be careful managing these patients, not only to treat their injuries or fractures, and surgeries that we do, but also uh, give appropriate attention to their bone health. And I understand not all centers may have appropriate um, infrastructure or you can say programs like we have, which exclusively deal with osteoporosis management uh, in orthopedic injury patients or fracture patients. Um, but uh, whenever possible, a referral can be made to such uh, uh, specialty uh, services uh, which are around town. So this is what I recommend to my peers is that not only uh, when we treat surgically these fractures, we also need to medically treat their osteoporosis. Vitamin D supplementation has been cause for controversy. Where does that fall in the best practices? Well, I certainly uh, feel that uh, vitamin D is necessary um, in these patients because as we talked, uh, a lot of these patients are already deficient on their vitamin D. And if we implement like a universal vitamin D supplementation in our diet, we don't need to routinely test these patients for vitamin D levels. Then we can focus uh, the testing mainly on the high-risk group and uh, you know, give them appropriate uh, dosages if they are deficient. But definitely I recommend uh, around you know, 1,000 to 2,000 international units of vitamin D and calcium uh, appropriately uh, or to supplement these patients so as to improve their bone health. Thank you so much again for joining us today, Dr. Naranji. Oh, it was my pleasure to be here, Mike.